Welcome to Cornerstone. For those of you that are listening to the podcast or watching just the message online, welcome to you. We are uh, in our series called Unfinished Business, and like everything we do at Cornerstone, it's designed to inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, and we do that because we know that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. For those of you that are here, you've already heard a little bit of this, but for those of you listening and watching online, please download our app. It's one of the ways that we want to make available to you so that we can serve you well. And please check in because we want to shepherd the flock that God has given us well. And especially if you're not connecting in person, we would love to be able to know that you are connecting so you can check in using the app, click on the check in button. And then I also wanted to point out that at the bottom of the app, there are some things that sometimes people miss and uh, so be sure to check out the different options there at the bottom. It's kind of a preview and foreshadowing of what we're going to be uh, able to do with this app as we move into our next phase of ministry. And in particular, I have the groups highlighted because over this past week, I've been going through the different groups, updating them and getting them ready. So be sure to take care of getting the app and connecting and checking in with us. So. As I said, we are in a series called Unfinished Business, where we are looking at Paul the Apostle's letter to Timothy, a pastor and apprentice. And the big idea for the entire book is that we've seen that you are God's unfinished business. Oh, I forgot to move that. Yeah, I was supposed to do that. Thank you, Elizabeth. Good. Now people can see it. Uh, you are God's unfinished business, and God never leaves business unfinished. We see this in uh, Paul's instruction to Timothy at the very beginning of the letter when he says, I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete our work there. Um, I'm actually going to slide that over just a little bit. Okay. That's good. Uh, so, unfinished business. Paul is, that, uh, is sending Titus to finish the work that he has there. And basically, it falls into two categories. Number one, that he wants the people to make sure that they're, I'll get to you in three words, or actually four words, creeds, deeds, leads, impedes. <laughs> okay? Here's how that goes. You don't have to write that down. <laughs> that he wants to make sure that the churches that are established on Crete, that their deeds line up with their creed because they need people who are qualified to lead and he doesn't want their behavior and the way that they conduct themselves to impede the gospel propagation among the church and among the people of Crete. So that's what's going on there. And it got me to thinking about, and as we look at this and establishing leadership, and, and it's basically, this is the church getting started in Crete. We are in a phase where you could describe it almost as a restart as we come out of the pandemic and figure out what is next for us as a church. And the question that might be on your mind and uh, certainly has occurred to me and is happening across the board when it comes to church world is this, how is our church going to survive and thrive going forward. Survive and thrive going forward. 
uh, you would be forgiven if you looked around and you wondered, you know, why, why aren't people connecting as much? It seems like there are a lot of faces that we don't see. And it's come into, uh, we, we've come into a very weird phase of church life because there are people who consider themselves a part of a local church that you may see at the local church, at the gathering, maybe once a month, maybe once every two months. People are connecting online, and for that, we are very grateful. And in fact, I was looking at some of our annual reports from the previous years. In the first year of the pandemic, I chose these three words. Let me see if I can remember it because I'm doing this off the top of my head. It was adapt, expand, and restart. So we had to adapt, and we went online and did video and did online services. It actually expanded our reach because we were able to, as a result of that, reach more people than before the pandemic. And now we're moving into a phase of restart. But what does that look like? And how is it that we are going to survive and thrive as we go forward? And already, things are probably a lot better than it looks like to you because we are connecting online. We do see people continuing to connect. We do get guests who are coming as people come back to church. But we want to not just survive, but we want to thrive. So what's that going to look like? And it got me thinking about, well, um, what do we see in this passage? What do we see in Jesus? And so I named this message ABC Jesus because I'm always trying to think of ways that will help you to remember the main point about what I'm talking about. And this is a doozy. Um, so, uh, so I was thinking about, okay, um, what they're doing in the letter, and, and, and this is what, this is what uh, if my objective, if I had an objective for the message for you, it would be this. I don't want you to rule out anybody. When it comes to making invitations, including uh, building relationships, I don't want you to exclude anyone, even yourself. Sometimes we, we rule ourselves out, right? So I was thinking about Jesus' example, and so that's why I called it ABC Jesus. So if you think about Jesus gathering his disciples, um, okay, before that, <laughs> last couple of months, my son Jonathan, his wife Mason, many of you have had them, uh, you have hosted them in your homes and such because they are getting ready to go on mission. They are going to be missionaries. They are raising support. And what it's been very interesting and informative as I've watched them go through this uh, firsthand. So, but basically, let me explain part of the process. This is how, wouldn't, how they, wouldn't be how they explained it, but it's how I explain it. It's you start out because you have to raise your own support and you make a list of everyone, everyone you've ever known, everyone you've ever met, everyone you're related to, if you said hi to them at the grocery store, put them on the list, right? Uh, make a list of everyone you've known since the day you were born, and then go and ask them to be a part of your ministry. That's basically it. <laughs> so, um, and I was, it was interesting for me to watch, because if you're like me, what my natural inclination would be would be to make them my list and say, well, I'm not going to put them on the list. They wouldn't be interested. Or, uh, yeah, I'm, I don't know if you know, they'd be open to that. I'm not going to put that on the list. And the, so I was talking to another daughter of mine who's getting ready to prepare to take a ministry trip. And I said, make a list of at least 100 people 
and don't even think about it. You know, don't, don't think about will they or won't they or that kind of thing. Just make a list. Don't. Siri, I don't need your help. Thank you very much. Um, so I, 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 I was watching John and Mason, you know, just not ruling anybody out and then going and making those invitations. And I've been so surprised, pleasantly surprised, of course, at how receptive people have been and how generous people have been, how ready and willing people have been to participate with their ministry. And I just know that if I, in my own self, had made the list for them, there are people that I would, yeah, don't bother. But, but they did, and they, they found receptivity. Flashback to Jesus again. So Jesus is gathering his crew to change the world. And I just want you to think about the crew that he gathered. There was Simon the, the Zealot, a potentially violent revolutionary. Not the first person I put on there. You know, I, I was, yeah, be a part of my team. We're going to serve the world. Uh, you, leave the knife at home, Simon. Uh, you have Matthew, or Levi, the tax collector, a collaborator with the enemy. Not the person that I would choose. And I certainly wouldn't invite both of them and put them in the same room together because somebody's going to be dead, right? That's, uh, you just wouldn't do that. J uh, uh, James and John, they're business people. They, they're, they're working with their father's business. They're probably all set up to take over the business. Their father's getting older. He needs their help. They're not going to be interested in leaving behind the family business and their family and traveling around me be, with me being homeless as an itinerant rabbi. We're, they're not going to do that. Peter, I mean, he's a talented guy, but he's so hot-headed. I, I don't know if I can make him my right-hand man because... <laughs> Who knows what he's going to say or what he's going to do? Do you kind of get the picture that if you were gathering the, your crew and you were Jesus, you would not have picked the people that Jesus picked? But he did. He did. And he knew better than us. So I was thinking, okay, how can I get this message across? Don't rule anybody out. And, you know, let's, let's go with an acronym, A, B, C. So how can I make that fit? It's like... Uh, always be, that's good, uh, but, but including, I want, I, I, what's a word that's including that starts with C? So I couldn't find one, so here's what I got. Always be including. <laughs> always be including. you got to always be including. Don't rule anybody out. Always be including others, because that's what Jesus did. He did it with you, and he wants to do it with others as well. So today, we're talking about including others. And the bottom line is that God's plan to finish his work is to include others in his work. And that, that has always been his plan and his pattern. Whenever he wants to accomplish something, whether it is delivering his people from slavery, delivering people from the coming flood, establishing his church, taking the gospel to the Gentiles, uh, planting church among the Gentiles, he finishes his work by including others in his work. And in this passage, we're going to see the different kinds of people that he includes in his work. And I'm going to give you the main points. Don't worry about writing them down. We'll come back to it. But it is that pastors, here are the different roles that are laid out in the pastoral epistles. Pastors are elders who lead the people of the church. 
In our church, we have small group and team leaders. They're equivalent to the biblical deacons, and what they do is they facilitate the ministry of the church. And then you have the people of the church, and the people of the church are the ministers who do the work of the church. And so if we are going to survive and thrive, we are going to have to follow Jesus' example. I almost said example. Follow Jesus' example and always be including other people. And so I'm going to encourage you to include someone new in your circle, in your group, because that's how the gospel spreads. That's how the ministry is built. And that's how God accomplishes and finishes his work by including others. Let's look at the particular passage from Titus. This is Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 9, and it focuses on the idea of elders. Earlier in the service, you heard a little bit of background of the establishing of the deacons in Acts chapter 6, and a parallel passage, this is going to sound very familiar for those of you that heard the earlier passages from 1 Timothy, because they are parallel and very similar. But this is talking about elders. Verse 5, I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life, must be faithful to his wife, and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. An elder is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. Let's pray together. Once again, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I almost always begin my prayer with that, and it seems appropriate. When we read your word, we are thankful for your word. You have not left us alone and without direction, but have given us insight and wisdom. So we thank you for it. I pray that as we look at these passages today, that you would give us the wisdom and insight that we need, that you would give us the faith and obedience that would be the appropriate response to what we hear and show each of us specifically in our circle, among our friends, in our particular corner of the world, how we need to apply this and whom, who we can include in what you're doing among us. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So God's plan to finish his work is to include others in his work. And in this passage, where Paul is telling Titus to uh, establish elders, we are, that is one of the roles, that is the leading role. So pastors are the elders who lead the people of the church. I'm going to tell you what we call them, where these are our pastors, the biblical definition, which is elders, who lead the people of the church. Now, what you'll notice as we go through this is that, um, especially if you have a church background, that uh, 
different churches use different words and define these things in different ways. We have 2,000 years of innovation, adaptation, and variations on a theme when it comes to leadership in the church. But basically, uh, the, the idea of elders was borrowed from the Jewish faith. You would have a group of leading men who were in charge of the, um, the congregation and the church, which was born out of that culture, just adapted that for our purpose as well. Uh, we call them in our setting pastors. So pastors are elders, but elders is also translated as overseer or bishop. Uh, overseer, the Greek word is episkopos. You'll hear episcopal in that. So different variations on a theme, but basically an elder, an overseer, a bishop are all the same word in the New Testament, but we've had variations on a theme within the various traditions. So for us, basically the church is led by pastors. But this is a particular type of leadership, a servant leadership, a leadership by example. It's, uh, it's kind of like when I define authority as uh, anytime you have power or leverage over somebody, anytime you have authority over someone, that doesn't belong to you. That's God's gift. That's God's that he shares with you. He loans it to you as a stewardship in order that you might leverage it for the benefit of those under your authority. So uh, as Jesus said, the one who wants to become great will become servant of all the servant leadership is the kind of leadership that we're talking about when we say that pastors are elders who lead the people of the church. Uh, uh, think of Jesus' teaching when he was talking about himself as the good shepherd. He says he gathered his own flock. He walks ahead of them. He doesn't drive them. He leads them by example. They willingly follow and walk behind him. The Apostle Paul picked up this theme in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, when he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So what does a leader in the church do? Follows hard after Jesus and invites others to do the same thing. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, uh, this is Peter writing to the churches, to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder. And so he's talking about elders. He's saying, I'm an elder. I'm talking to you elders. And then he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. And that's just one example where you see this idea of leadership and elders being paralleled to the idea of a shepherd, a shepherd over his flock. And I'm not going to give you all the different scriptures because this is what I trimmed down because there was so much information to give you, but I'm going to give you a summary. And in your growth guide, you'll see that there's a blank space for you to write something like this if you would like. But basically, pastors have these four responsibilities for their church. They're going to lead them. We've talked about leading by example. We'll talk, uh, they feed them. When Jesus was reestablishing Peter and his leadership role, he said, feed my sheep. And we think of that as the teaching and preaching aspect of a pastor's role. Uh, then they also care. When we were doing the Psalms over the summer and we were studying Psalm 23, it really reinforced to me the idea of how much work goes into the care and nurture 
of the sheep by the shepherd. They are protecting their health and wanting them to thrive. And so that's uh, what a pastor does. He shepherds his flock. He leads, feeds, cares for them, and also protects them. And this is something that we probably don't talk about too much. You think of Psalm 23, your rod and your staff, uh, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And for pastors, it is protecting the sheep from protecting the flock from outside influences that would harm them, and in particular, doctrines that are untrue or harmful. So that's a summary of what pastors do, and that's uh, in our church, we are a elder-led or pastor-led congregation, so that means that responsibility falls to me. Although I do share leadership and I have other people because no, no one person could do that for very many people. But a shepherd or a pastor makes sure that that happens and sometimes will, and what we see modeled in the New Testament is team leadership where there are multiple people coming together to work together. There's shared responsibility, shared accountability. And I have that among our leadership team at Cornerstone, which consists of myself and Paul Varley, and then Kent and Elizabeth Rich. So that's our leadership team. I'm the leading elder. That's my leadership team. Now, that leads into the second role, which isn't mentioned in the book of Titus, but is mentioned in the passage in Acts that we read and in First and Second Timothy, and that is um, that God's plan to finish his work, including others in his work, includes those other leaders that are helping to facilitate the ministry of the church. Now, in the New Testament, these are referred to as deacons. That is basically a transliteration of the Greek word diakonos. They said, we're not going to try to figure out what that means. We'll just transliterate it and put it in there that way. But the word was used of a person who serves, like someone who serves the table at a restaurant. It is a place of service. And what we see in the establishment of the deacons was that they took on the ministry of feeding the the orphans and widows, the widows who were in need in the early church. So in our setting, those people who lead teams and care for teams of people are fulfilling the biblical role of a deacon. So what I said is that small group and team leaders are deacons who facilitate the ministry of the church. The apostles in Acts 6 wanted to make sure that the widows did not go hungry and that no division arose in the church. They were caring for and nurturing the church, but their focus was on, as it says, prayer and preaching of the word. And so they delegated that responsibility to other trustworthy, spirit-filled people who were able to accomplish or facilitate that ministry. Here's the key verse where it says, and so brothers select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Now, deacons, when they are mentioned in 1 Timothy, it also talks about women as well. There's a little bit of confusion because the same word in Greek that refers to women can also be be referring to wives. And so there can be, in some circles, a debate as to whether or not it's saying their wives ought to be like this as well or if it's talking about women deacons. 
this is not what this message is about, but I will tell you that my conviction and our approach as a church is that women can serve in any role that, that is available. And what you see, if you pay attention to, um, to the qualifications that I read, that we read earlier, it is much more about character. It's almost completely focused on character. The only skill that is mentioned for elders is the ability to teach, to protect the doctrine. So they have to, be, they have to know what they're talking about, and they have to be, be able to communicate it effectively. But that's basically the only skill that is mentioned. Everything else is character. And I think if you look closely, you'll see the same emphasis when it's talking about deacons as well. It's not talking, it, your sex does not qualify you or disqualify you for a role. It is your character. The message translation of that passage, I think, picks up on it, and you might have heard it when, um, when Laura read it. When it starts to talk about the women, it says, no exceptions are be to be made for women, same qualifications. In other words, their character has to be stellar. It has to be, it has to be yeah, they have to be uphold uh, a certain character qualities. It's not about whether they're men or women. As long as their character qualifies them, then they are able to serve. Uh, so in the same way, since uh, this has been uh, so undefined in the scriptures, it's just like deacons, they help, they serve, they make sure that ministry happens. We see all these different variations, but they are, they are the people who are responsible. So if you are a small group or ministry team leader, you could use that space in your growth guide to do the same kind of thing. You could draw a box and say, this is my ministry. This is the prayer team. This is my life group. This is the children's ministry. And you could say, okay, so what, what does the Bible say that they should do there? Mm -hmm. you, you, got a lot, you got a lot of freedom there. But what you should do is include others. So you figure out what are the different things. If this box represents everything that has to happen for setup, if this box represents everything that has to happen in the prayer ministry, what are the different roles that need to happen, the different jobs that need to be done? And let me find some people to do it. Always be including other people in what you're doing. Because you're not going to burn out that way. You'll be able to spread the task around. You'll be able to help train up other people as well. And then if uh, you decide that you're all done and God's moving you on to something else, it doesn't die when you leave because you've built a team. So that is one way to kind of figure that out. So I've briefly described what elders are and what elders do. They're the pastors who lead the ministry of the church. Then you have the deacons. They are the small group and team leaders who facilitate the ministry of the church. And then there's everybody else. So what is everybody else? Well, God's plan to finish his work is to include others. Others. Everybody others. Always be including people. And the people of the church are ministers who do the work of the church. Every single, people, every single person who is a part of the church is a minister of the church, and this is an important thing to remember because over time, we've gotten this idea in some circles that the pastor is the minister, and he's the one that's supposed to know it all and do it all, 
So if somebody needs to be visited in the hospital, it's the pastor who should do that. If it's somebody uh, needs to be evangelized, if the gospel needs to be explained to somebody, then call the pastor. That's his job. Uh, no, 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 no. I will do that. But it's because I'm a part of the body of, of Christ, not because I'm the pastor. The biblical model throughout the scriptures, if you look closely, is not what we see sometimes in churches where you hire somebody to do the work of the ministry. Uh, my job, Ephesians, is it two or four, is to, to, to equip the saints, that's you, to do the work of the ministry. Not for me to do the work of the ministry, but to equip you to do the work of the ministry. The people of the church are the ministers who do the work of the church. We've been talking about this. I need to put in my defense. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's called pastor, right? Pastor or pastor. Because he's passing the buck. <laughs> 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 they couldn't. <laughs> so um, you saw, uh, she, she said, pastors pass the buck. And I, that, I, I, will, I, will, I will own that. Here's why. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Uh, I remember that verse because it's 111, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Okay, 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says this, says this. The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these, pass the buck, hand it over, pass the baton to faithful men who will be able to train others. If we're going to th survive and thrive as a church, it ain't going to fall to me because I can't do it. We're, we're not that big of a church. We're a pretty average-sized church. It's already too much care for me to handle. It only works. That would be like saying your body is healthy if your right eye works. Now, it's nice to have your right eye work and your left eye too, uh, but... But that's not a healthy body. It takes all of us to accomplish it. So I've been coming back to this verse. This is a great verse for this. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow. So that the whole body, not just me, not just a couple of others, not just the people that I can reach, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, if you look for this in the scriptures, it's all through the scriptures. Here's a beautiful example from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, Peter is not talking to the elders here. He's talking to the church as a whole. But you, you people who show up on Sunday, you people who are watching online, everyone who has said yes to Jesus, whether that was yesterday or 40, 50 years ago, you are the ones chosen. What did, what did Paul say to Titus? Appoint elders. You were chosen by God as ministers, chosen for the high calling of priestly work. You are priests chosen to be a holy people. That word holy there is the same word that we get saints from. Did you know you are saints? 
Not because of what you did, but because of what Christ did for you. He sanctified you and is sanctifying you. You are chosen. You are his priest. You are his ambassadors. You are a called and holy people. You are God's instruments to do his work and speak for him. Does a pastor work for God and speak for God? I hope I, I, hope I facilitate that in your life. But you, the priests, the, the, the saints, the ministers of the church, you are God's instruments. You're his body, his physical representation in the world today to do his work and speak for him. So we got to always be, we, if you're part of this body, we need you. It goes on to say, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. I love that. I love that. You know, when I, I'm just going to, I'm going to go off script here for just a little bit, but this verse is just too good. Um, there's so many things that I feel like God called me to do that at the first I didn't feel like I was equipped to do or able to do. And that's probably the best position for me to be in because when I felt like I w knew what I was doing and was all up for it, that's when I usually fall flat on my face. But um, I love the introduction to, f to the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, it encourages me and maybe it will encourage you too. Listen to what it says. This is verse 26 and following. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, you know how I said sometimes we need to be including everybody and sometimes we need to include ourselves and not rule ourselves out? Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Who did God call? Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important as a result no one can ever boast in the presence of God. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 26, or I'm sorry, it's chapter 1, verses 26 to 29, if you want to write that down and look at it later. I love that. Because I fit. I wasn't wise or powerful or wealthy. And there's something that you're, you're not, and God still wants to use you. And he wants to include you in what he's doing and, of course, he began by including us in the faith when he chose us. When we say yes to Jesus, then our past doesn't matter anymore because it's been forgiven. And because we've accepted his forgiveness, then we also have a new story, a new ending written to our story because we're following his leadership. He's our Lord and Savior, and that's what we want to see happen. So... Today we've been talking about including others. We have to always be including. 
God's plan is to finish his work by including others in his work. And if we're his body, if we're his hands and feet, we have to be including others as well. So that's my challenge for you. And this is going to be just, uh, bear with me just a little bit longer with this because I usually go through the challenge part really quickly, but I'm going to give you some extra tools and thoughts related to it. Because this is probably the most important part of what we're going to do today because it matters not what we talk about here as much as what we do when we leave here. So I, always, I want you to be including people in your group. I mentioned earlier that our app, we have the groups, and I've updated and, uh, and categorized that, so I really would encourage you to check it out. All of our groups do these three things, but they have different emphases, and you'll see that if you go online. There's growth, grow, go, and know. Grow, connect spiritually, they're color-coded. Those are green. Go, serve intentionally. Those are orange and purple. Orange are the ministries in our church. Purple are the ministries, ministries that we um, partner with from outside of our church. And then no, collect, connect relationally. Okay, we said earlier that a great church is made up of people who have a great commitment to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. So the Great Commandment is to love God and love others, the Great Commission is to make disciples. So again, all these different groups do all these different things, but they're going to have different emphases because we want to encourage you to take next steps in all those different ways. As I said, I color-coded them. So when you go to the list, you'll see the green, the orange, and then a the little bit of purple because those are the groups that we have allied with that are outside of our group. And then the aqua, which are, well, we call them generally life groups, but those are the places where you are living life together. So you'll go and you'll see that we have a balance of all these different kinds of groups. Some of you, when you log in, you'll see that you're already a part of a group, but you have to connect to a group in order to invite people into a group. So if you're not a part of a group, then you should definitely do that. It also aligns with part of our membership commitment to worship together weekly, to serve on a team monthly, include others regularly, and that's, of course, what we're focusing on today is including others. When your small group has a fellowship, is it just you four and no more? Or do you leverage that as an opportunity to include others? If you have a ministry team, have you drawn that box and said, here are the different things that we could do? You look around, everybody's already doing stuff. Look outside of the church. Maybe somebody want, uh, maybe God wants to connect people with the church by giving them a job to do in the church. D but we rule them out. Oh, they're not interested. They don't believe the way we do. Stop doing that. We're going to always be including people, just like Jesus did. And if you start to think about this, and this isn't in your notes, if you want to ask me, I'll send it to you. Don't try to write it down. I'm going to go too fast. But this is all through. I got tons of these. So uh, here's, here's the evangelism approach that fits all those. Come and see. Uh, when we worship together, we're going to experience God. Come with me and see what we're doing. But we're not just going to stay here. We're going to go and tell. We're going to go out and serve. We're going to get involved in the community. What did Jesus say? Live life with me. Follow me. Be a part of what I'm doing. When you have Thanksgiving dinner, is there somebody that you could invite, that you could include, that maybe doesn't have a place of inclusion? 
whatever you're doing, think about whether you're serving, whether you're getting together, whether you're having fun, whether you're having a fire on Friday night in your fire pit. How can you include others? Always be including people. That's what Jesus did. Like I said, I got tons of these. Uh, here's, here's, the, here's, here's more. These are the circles. This is your community. Gather together people from your community. And this is your congregation. This is your core. These are your close friends. Here's the invitation that you would extend. Come to church. Come sit with me. Don't just say, hey, come to church. Here's where you are. I'm going to pick you up. We're going to ride together, and you're going to sit with me. Serve with me. I know you don't believe the way that we believe, but, but we're doing some good stuff. You could help. Will you serve with me? Uh, come with me. We're, we're going this place. We're doing this thing. Come with me. And then this is also our discipleship process where we move people through next steps into what is next and move them from attending, just showing up, to actually making a contribution and then multiplying because that's the ultimate game is a multiplying disciple. And this will only happen if we Embrace and own our role as ministers in the church as each part does its own special work. Each of you have your own special work to do. It helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And the way that we're going to build a healthy, growing church that is full of love is not ruling people out, not saying no for them, but being like Jesus and always be including other people because that's how he wants to accomplish his work. So whatever you're doing, serving, fellowshipping, hanging out, going somewhere, figure out who God wants to include, because he wants to include someone new in your group. And that's what Jesus did. That's how he built his church. That's how he built into the people that were around him. And that's what he is continuing to do today. And that's how, if we will embrace it, if we will own it, if we will model it, that we are going to be a healthy, growing church that is full of love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you didn't rule us out, that you took those things that were, wa- that were weak and foolish and poor and decided, I'm going to use them to accomplish my will. Lord, put people on our hearts and minds to include, to accept, to circle up with, and may you do that thing that only you can do in convincing them of the truth of the gospel and adopting them, recreating them into your family into your sons and daughters. We pray this in Jesus' name.